and welcome back to another episode of Lost and Down. I'm your host, Stephen Weed. Of course, always joining me in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my co-host, Mr. Walter Lukashensky. Before we get into it, this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. Make sure you use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that first order, as well as free shipping. Again, TabEase.com, T-A-B-E-A-S-E. Dot com for the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. Before we get into it, we just have to address the couple elephants in the room that, that have happened here this past week. Henry Ruggs III, the wide receiver for the Las Vegas Raiders, is now officially not on the team and right now is sitting in prison because of his DUI that resulted in someone dying. He was driving his Corvette at a peak of 156 miles per hour. Then crashing into a woman and a 23-year-old woman and her dog at 127 miles per hour, all while he had a blood alcohol level, twice the legal limit, as well as a loaded gun in the car. We've been hearing it a bunch. I know we're a little bit late to the party based off when we're releasing this. Wally is the resident Raiders fan in here. You've heard enough from basically all media. I want you to hear from a Raiders fan himself and on the inside of how everything is unfolding and yet it seems just like another domino is falling in the negative direction. Well, first of all, thanks for the introduction, Steven. You're the man. We'll get to you here in a second and hopefully get to talk a little bit more fun stuff. So hopefully you can understand. I'm going to drudge on here for a couple minutes, but uh, anytime you want to cut me off, feel free. This was such a tragic story in so many fronts. I mean, first in the I, the most important, you have to mention that there's a 23 year old who is dead, who is never going to live their life because of the decision of someone else. Now, before today, with all the information that's coming out about the specifics of this, you you, you kind of you wanted to hold your breath, let all the facts come out because you you also at the same time it's tragic because. There is also a supremely athletic, a supremely gifted young person that with the worst lapse of judgment resulting in the worst possible thing you can imagine, threw away their career, threw away their life, and that's profoundly sad in its own right. I just, man, I've never wanted to talk football less in my life. This podcast, I'm going to try really hard to grit through. Steven was the man this week, and he put in a lot of work on this rundown in preparation for the show. We usually at least try to split that up pretty evenly. This week, I've been really, I've just really struggled to pay attention to sports the last few days. It's, I mean, I, I don't, I can't even explain just as a fan, even this is such a gut punch. Uh, just because, I mean, this is a kid that, from all accounts, was is a really what uh, I guess caring young man, a, a a a young man that cares about people, and that's what's even more disappointing about all of this is that, I I mean, he you can never undo this, and he's gonna have to live with this for the rest of his life, and this is again it's profoundly sad and tragic beyond even before we get into the football part, but I, I do just for a second want to touch on the football side of this is that. As a, a Raiders fan too, this is I feel like it's just like an extra kick to the gut just because this has been a Raiders team for 20 years. I mean, we had heard about forever. This is one of the most proud, the one of the most historic teams in the NFL and, and professional sports in America in general. 
And this team for 20 years has gotten its own way. They've only had one season finishing above 500 in that stretch. Derek Carr then broke his leg on Christmas Eve before playing Connor Cook in a playoff game. And now this year you feel like everything's going your way. And between the John Gruden saga and now this terrible story with Henry Ruggs, I'm so exhausted, man. It's it's so hard. And then it, just to add the personal element to it too, and I'm sure you understand this and a lot of people out there, it's just amazing to see people almost take excitement and happiness and rubbing the wounds when you get stuff like this. Like my phone has been ringing off the hook the last few days, just people left and right wanting to talk to talk about this. And I, I got nothing, man. It's just, again, I, I, my sincere thoughts and condolences are, are with the young woman and her family. It's, I mean, I have a sister that's 23 right now, and that's I can't stop thinking about her the last couple of days when when you hear about this. And I, I mean, that's pretty much my piece on it. I, I'm tragically sad for that family, and I'm sad that Henry Ruggs chose to do this because I I sincerely don't think that he is bad at his like as a person. It's just this is an incomprehensible mistake, and I I don't know what to say, Stephen. So anything you want to add, go for it. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Of course, the condolences out to the family. You know, the name has yet to be released, in, which I think is, you know, a good move. And you know, the loss of, of the woman, 23 years young, so, so young. We flip it over to the other 23-year-old that is a young professional athlete making millions of dollars living in the city of Las Vegas. You know, this is tragic, unexpected, and this is what happens when millionaires have too much money and they're young and they don't know what to do with themselves, not making an excuse and not saying that it's acceptable. It's extremely unacceptable and heartbreaking at the same time. Uh, it feels, you know, at this point, depending on how trial and everything goes, we could be losing two 23-year-olds. Life's in likelihood, unfortunately. We've already lost one. We'll see how this pans out here with Henry Ruggs and how the NFL wants to to handle this. He's never going to play a snap ever again, and it's unfortunate and uh, for the sake of getting the positive attitude up. Can I ruin your attitude for about 20 seconds more, and then I promise we'll be positive? But you just said something that hit me in the head, too, that I wanted to to say is that keep that same energy. If you're out there and you're – and I'm not knocking because I understand this the anger at Henry Ruggs today. But if you're that angry and you're that disgusted with it, you better also be the person that's stopping your friends from drinking and driving because just because they got home doesn't make them a better person than what Henry Ruggs did. You make sure that you don't drink and drive. You make sure your friends don't drink and drive. Otherwise, you have no right to be talking right now. Couldn't have said it better myself. With that, we will we will move on to the shortened news stories of the week here. Outside of the obvious elephant that we just covered, it was the trade deadline. It was up at 4 p.m. Eastern here on this past Tuesday. We didn't really see anything crazy, but we all know what we're, we're going to talk about. The Rams and the Broncos complete a deal that sends Von Miller on his final year of his contract to the L.A. Rams. What does Denver get? A second and third pick next year. Win. Win for the Rams. They should be Super Bowl favorites. If they weren't already, we're both very high in the Rams. This is only going to make them better. All while this was happening, Deshaun Jackson was released, yada, yada, yada. He'll find somewhere, 
contender potentially to go that needs a deep threat. Wally, Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald. You can only double team one person. Once Vaughn Miller gets integrated into that defense, which I'm assuming is not going to take too long, he already wants to play in this Sunday's game. It's the best defense in the league. But give me a reason why they shouldn't be Super Bowl favorites, or at least coming out of the NFC as the representative. I mean, just looking at Aaron Donald alone on that defensive front really made them a formidable opponent, not only as a pass rusher, but as a run defense too. And now all of a sudden you bring in a guy like Vaughn Miller, who now has even more liberty to go after the passer, knowing you have that guy inside. This is a massive win for the Rams. And God, it seems like they just print draft capital. Every time you look, it seems like they just magically have another blockbuster trade with more picks that I didn't know they still had. But hey, dude, that's a huge win for this Rams team. And I mean, frankly, too, let's just be uh, on the other side, on the flip side here. The Broncos weren't going to win another Super Bowl with Vaughn Miller. This is kind of a soft rebuild now. And the way we usually see draft picks kind of decrease and depreciate in value for these kind of trades, I think a second and third round pick are pretty good, especially considering Vaughn Miller's age. So Credit to the Broncos here. I think this is a win-win, but absolutely, to answer your question, yeah, I think the Rams are on a very short list in the Super Bowl odds. And, man, look out. That pass rush out in the NFC West is going to be scary. And with that quick story, that will bring us right into the hair of the dog. That's right. Let's cure that hangover. Let's get, let's get through these games. A lot of ugly games this past week. And the one to start us off, the Carolina Panthers outlasting the Atlanta Falcons 19-3. Carolina snapping a four-game losing streak, but Sam Darnold is continuing to struggle. 13 of 24 for 129 yards. Yeah, he added 66 on the ground. This game was ugly because on the other side of the ball, you had Matt Ryan. 20-27, cool. One touchdown, two picks. Kyle Pitts back on his bullshit. Two receptions for 13 yards. This was an ugly division game. You thought Atlanta, based off the last couple of weeks that they've had, maybe they can start stringing in the three-game win streak. And, okay, maybe they could start at least being in the conversation for the wild card spot. Boy, was I wrong. 19-13. to 13. Don't know how Carolina wins. They get back in the win column. What were your takeaways, if you had any, in this game? Oh, my gosh. Not really too much. This is the most quintessential hair-of-the-dog game there ever has been. These are two teams that are... Not bad enough to be fighting for a top pick in the draft, but they're not good enough to be fighting for a wild card position. I, I mean, I saw the funniest tweet on Sunday, and I think you'll appreciate it, but Robbie Anderson has to, he had to be on top of the world that he got out of New York, he got away from Sam Darnold just to have him come back and almost end his career laying him out to dry. If you didn't see this pass on Sunday, he got bled and it looked like a nice catch because, you know, on TV, we don't get to see the safeties coming in at full speed. It looks like a nice ball. All of a sudden, strong safety literally decapitates Robbie Anderson. And I'm like, all right, cool. Then he just needs to never play again. But, yeah, no, for everything that you look at this game, the Falcons, they're probably more, like, competitive than I expected them to be. But that's really not a good thing when you're going to be looking for a top five pick. They're not good enough to make that actually worth anything. And that's honestly a disaster of a game, which was a lot like the following one. I know the Bills are actually a really freaking good team, but they look sloppy in Orchard Park against the Dolphins this last weekend. This was a game early in the fourth quarter that I truly was wondering if the Dolphins might actually hang around and win this game. 
Just one of those weird divisional matchups, I think, though. The Dolphins eventually get worn down by a more talented squad in Buffalo. Josh Allen kind of settles in. And with these, what I think Buffalo plays Jacksonville as well this next week, when you have a stretch like this here where these, I guess you're you're basically playing teams that are almost in that college over. You can look past the future games. I'm, I guess, a little bit more inclined to give them a little wiggle room here and just assume that they were looking ahead and this was a lack of focus. What did you make of this? I think this is the Bills. This is the Bills forte right here. These are the types of games that the Bills are going to play. And they're going to win by large margins, but they're not going to blow you out of the water. Yes, I know what they did a couple weeks ago, giving it to Washington a few weeks back and then dominating the Houston Texans, which they should. But division games, yes, I'm not surprised about this outcome, but this is the Bills. They are giving me the vibes of kind of like what Green Bay was early on where they were winning, but it wasn't impressive and everyone was kind of overlooking them. And all of a sudden, they're going to start winning a couple impressive games. They lost against the Titans. That's got to hurt. You know, they beat the Chiefs. Eyes on that. But the Bills are, to your point, a very good team. They have the best pass defense in the league right now. Josh Allen, 304 total yards with three touchdowns. This is a team where you're like, wow, this game is actually pretty close. And then you look and it's 30 nothing. They are just – they – Death by a thousand cuts is this Buffalo Bills team. You look up, you're like, son of a bitch, it's the fourth quarter, I'm down 20? God damn, what the hell happened in this game? It got away from me. That's the Bills. They are a good football team. They should be and are, in my opinion, the favorites out of the AFC right now. And I can't wait. Oh, man, I, I just hope they go to the Super Bowl. Just the Super Bowl so you can just put my foot in your mouth and finally give Josh Allen the credit that he deserves. San Francisco getting their third win in the Windy City. San Fran takes over in the fourth quarter, scored 18 to win 33 to 22. Jimmy G, 17 to 28, 322 yards, adding two touchdowns on the ground. And Debo Samuel having a nice game to add on to the nice half year, half of a season that he's having. Six receptions, 171 yards, and Eliza Mitchell, 18 touches for a buck 37 and a touchdown. Bears offense looked a little bit more competent in this game. They just were not able to hold on a little bit longer. I'll let Wally talk about the Bears because they're led by his boy, Justin Fields. I will give him kudos. 176 yards on the ground against a San Francisco defense that was virtually impossible to run against outside of the city of Tampa Bay over the past couple years. Is there any positives that you're taking away here for the Chicago Bears and is this the start of something for San Fran, or, or is this just a better coach team winning the game? So, first of all, with the Bears here, I was marginally impressed to see Justin Fields at least be able to run the ball like he did. Because of those yards that you talked about, it is important to mention, though, that Khalil Herbert had only 72 yards rushing in this game on 23 attempts. So, it wasn't really like the Bears were... Like, actually traditionally running the ball well in this game. It was a lot of what Justin Fields was able to do and extend with his legs. And I'm sure most of you have seen the touchdown run that he had late in the third, early in the fourth, I'm not sure which, where he effectively reversed Fields twice and evaded the whole defense. And that just shows you the kind of athlete that he is. But we're going to need to see the Bears' offensive line eventually get better. Because right now, it's just not up to snuff. And I felt like this game, you know, this was about the perfect first half for the Bears until that long Debo Samuel pass to end the half that basically cut the game down to four. 
And it felt like it really changed the game from a momentum standpoint. And maybe that is goes to the coaching question that you asked. I am in love with Kyle Shanahan, so I'm a little biased here. But I am going to go down with the ship with San Francisco this year. I'm probably going to keep picking them. They're going to eventually turn into my Atlanta for you last year. But I do just think the better team eventually won in this game. It just, unfortunately for Justin Fields, doesn't look like it's going to get too much easier with that line. But then our next game, the Eagles went to Detroit. And you and I actually picked the Lions to win this game. Makes us look real good for because the Lions did what we should have expected was coming. They have a like really strange knack of playing the very good teams very tough. And then they play teams like Philadelphia and they didn't show up. They were down 38 to nothing in this game. Did it what was the final? Do you remember off the, it was like 44 to 6, right? Or something? Yeah, 44 to 6. They Detroit Detroit was shut out for most of that game. Yeah, it was 38 nothing last I saw. God, I'm glad I'm I'm not completely worthless. Again, props to Steven. He did a great job this week with all this prep work that he put into this. But I, I was, when I watched this game on Sunday, in the first half, you know, it was what? I can't remember if it was 10-0 or 14-0. Then they scored. But that whole time, until it got to 17-0, I kept talking myself into, nah, the Lions are going to start. They're, they're starting slow. They're going to get things going. Then all of a sudden, it was 17-0. I'm like, oh, maybe I, I was wrong to pick the Lions here. Then it was 24 nothing. Then it was 31 to nothing. Then 38 nothing, And it just kept going and going. And I would say that they're still not the worst team in the NFL. This was just one of those days for them. But, I mean, good for the Eagles. You want to flip it. This is the Eagles. We Guess what they did this week, Steven? I know this is going to completely floor you. They found out you're allowed to run the ball. And what happens when this team figures out that they can run the ball? The Eagles, all of a sudden, are an actual formidable opponent. And if Miles Sanders can be healthy and they can stick to this and kind of stay, I guess, disciplined enough to run the ball throughout the game, there's no reason to think that this Eagles team isn't going to at least have their name in that in-the-hunt graphic at the end of the season. Jalen Hurts only threw the ball 14 times. Nine completions for 103 yards. He added 71 rushing yards, not including Boston Scott and Jordan Howard combining for 24 touches, 137 and four touchdowns. The Eagles only put up 350 yards. Detroit only put up 228. That's embarrassing. You know why? Because the Eagles were able to stop Detroit's only strong suit, getting their running backs involved. In the run game, held to 57. That is their only strong suit. And using the running backs as receivers. That's all they have. If you stop that, you're making Jared Goff beat you, which he's here for a reason because he couldn't beat you when he had a loaded roster. Of course he's not going to beat you when he has this roster. Detroit is looking bad. They need more talent on that offensive side of the ball. Period. Not seeing them make at least a B-minus minimum. A B-minus, of course, you're not going to trade for Odell, but a B-minus receiver? Maybe snag Brandon Cooks? Get him out of Houston, put him back with Jared Goff, who who he had chemistry with? I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing, but damn, get a receiver. You're making your team one-dimensional. If they know that, just make Jared Goff throw the ball. We're going to win. 228 yards? Come on. That is embarrassing. The LA Rams dominate the Houston Texans. At one point, they were leading it 38-0. Wait, stop me if you heard this before, right? It sounds like we're going deja vu back-to-back games here. The Rams are filthy. They had no problems in this game. Cooper Cup. Offensive player of the year, 
Seven receptions, 115 yards, one touchdown. Dude is on pace to break Calvin Johnson's record. With the added 17th game, there's always going to be an asterisk next to it. But Cooper Cup has been an animal this year. Matt Staff with another three touchdowns, 305 yards. I don't, personally, I don't have any takeaways. The Houston Texans, they are who we thought they were. Put in Dennis Green. They're bad. The Rams are who we thought they were. They're fucking filthy. They're just going to continue rolling. With the addition of Von Miller, I don't see anyone stopping them. I will say this, that we were lucky, Stephen, that you and I were able to get our lines early in the week. So we had it at 14 and a half. The poor people that waited to bet this game until Sunday morning, this line ended up being at 16 and a half. This game was 38 to nothing with less than nine minutes left. And somehow the Texans covered this game. That might be one of the worst beats I've ever heard of. And I'm so happy we were in early on this line. So it didn't affect us, but nasty. Yeah. But the Texans, man, this was, it felt like a long point in this game. And had the Rams not put their or taken their foot off the gas, I should say, is that this was a Texans team that was nine minutes away from having their fourth game in five in the NFL scoring fewer than five points. That is unprecedented bad. Well, it's funny that you say fewer than five because they just scored five points in an NFL game. What have you ever heard saying scoring fewer than five points? This isn't baseball. This isn't hockey. Professional football. Fewer than scoring a touchdown. Come on. Jalen Hurts has been making a living off garbage time. And y'all can't even get one. That's that's bad. I will say, I remember about 10 years ago, it was an awesome time. There were two games in the course of a couple of years where Penn State and Iowa had a game end up 6-4. to four, And then you had a game with Auburn and Mississippi State and 3-2. to two. So, weird, really awkward, low-scoring scores. It's kind of that college thing. You don't see it at this pro level, and it just is a testament to how depleted that roster really is. The Carolina Giants game here from Week 7, it was at a stalemate 5-3, to three, basically the whole entire game until the fourth quarter. And then this game, it was 5-3 to three the following week for about a quarter. I'm like, what the hell is happening? Didn't finish in there, but I kind of want to get a relatable story, Walter. You're right, and it shows how hard at this level it is to stay at that kind of a scoring threshold because that only lasted for about a quarter and a half in the one last week. And this week, like you said, about a quarter, and it felt like an eternity. At the college level, that's how bad and how much of a disparity of talent that you can see that it can happen more often. But another team that I wouldn't be shocked being down 38 nothing and playing the Bills next week, it's not out of the realms of possibility. But the Jacksonville Jaguars, dude, they fucking suck. They lose this game 31-7, to and it really wasn't that close. I know that the Seahawks offense still really hasn't done anything extraordinary since Russell Wilson's gone, but they knew that they didn't have to going into this game. They took care of business, and the Jaguars, another example of an offense that is just going to continue to struggle. I can't wait for that rematch of the Jaguars-Texans game. It's going to almost be must-watch in an entirely different reason that we would typically talk about NFL games. But yeah, this was miserable, Steve, and I really don't have much else to say. The Jaguars-Texans matchup is like if you take all the worst players off of the NFC East division, put them on two teams, and let them just squid game battle, that's what this matchup's going to be. Of course, Houston's going to win because... They're putting up five points. Five points. No one does that. It's unprecedented. I love it. The Jaguars are horrible. Geno Smith is 
He has four incompletions, under 200 yards, two touchdowns, added a rushing touchdown. Tyler Lockett, what's up, man? It's been a while. 12 receptions for 142 yards. DK adds a touchdown. The reason that it ended 31-7 is because for some fucking reason, the Jaguars, I think it was about seven or eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, score a touchdown, down 24-7, wants to do an onside kick. Seattle returns that onside kick to make it 31-7. That is the ultimate kick in the gut. Oh, my goodness. Dumpster fire. Nice to see the Seahawks get get their first win post-Russ Wilson injury. We never know. He just had that pin removed from his surgically repaired middle finger here. Maybe we're going to see Russ here a little bit sooner than we thought. But it's nice to see Seattle back in the win column with Let's be real. They've, they've been super competitive the couple games they haven't had Russ. I've been surprised. I don't think that they're in a good position now with Russ coming back into the lineup. All time will tell with that. Second to last game before we get in here, Denver sending out Vaughn Miller, as we said, trade to the LA Rams, sending out Vaughn Miller in style by beating the hapless, the hopeless, the horrendous, the ugly-looking Washington football team. This game was boring. There's no better way to put it. I think that if we sat in a room and just concocted the worst NFL matchups that we would not want to be any a part of watching, this is up here. And honestly, this week had a lot of those. And this was the ringleader. This was the king of the hill right here. Teddy Bridgewater, 19-26, 213, one touchdown. Taylor Heineke, 24-39 for 270, one touchdown, two picks. I truly can't find anything entertaining to talk about this game. That's that's all I got. Literally all I have. This game is boring. Vaughn Miller is the sole reason that you would think about watching Denver outside of being like, oh, yeah, Denver, I love pot. I love tabbies.com. But other than that, I ain't watching this game. What Can we please move on? Yeah, I, I'm actually fine. I'm not even going to say much on that game. But I will say it was nice to see Vaughn Miller – Go out with a win in Denver. I know that he is emotionally attached. He talked about how Broncos country in him will always have Super Bowl 50. So at least that's something you can hang your hats on. Because the rest of this year, it looks like Denver is about to throw in the towel on this year. But then keeping in the AFC West with the Monday night football game, there was a genuine moment, Steven, and I thought the Chiefs are going to lose to the New York Giants. And if that happened, I think that you could just say that it would be DEFCON 5. Like the panic level in Kansas City, especially this is coming a week after where you saw players like Tyron Matthew and those defenders there in KC talk about how toxic the Chiefs' kingdom fandoms are. And you know what? Just talking from a Raider perspective on Twitter, it's a cesspool between the two, but it's never exactly with good people on either side. I feel like it's two of the most toxic fan bases out there. So for the Chiefs to actually start struggling a little bit and having a little bit of this, I don't know what you'd call it, but this, what's the word I'm looking for? Help me out if you have it. This adversity. Got it. Got there. I love how you just overcame adversity to remember the word adversity. This guy right here. But yeah, they did. They overcame a little bit of adversity to get this win. And I, I don't know. It's It's not quite got me believing that this Chiefs team is ready to be back to what they were. But in the NFL, getting wins is important. And, and the Giants, they have a solid defense. And getting a win on the road, I don't care who it is, it's a big deal. It's a nice thing. And the Chiefs, at least for a week, can put those the word dead in the water talks to bed. Kansas City is in serious trouble. We, No one can deny that. 
New York had horrible play calling for most of the first quarter, if not most of the first half, because Jason Garrett is a fucking idiot. Pat Mahomes, 275 yards, one touchdown, one interception. You had Danny Dimes throwing 222 with two touchdowns and one interception. Is Danny Dimes elite? That's a different conversation. No one is scared of this Chiefs team right now. They know their Achilles heel. Everyone on their defense not named Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew. That's about it. This team is bad. They cannot stop anyone. And all they do is turn the ball over. Tyreek Hill was cooking up in that first quarter, in that first half, and had a good game. Where's Travis Kelsey been? Where's the Pat Mahomes that we know to grow to love? In your case, grow to hate. Where's that been? No one's scared of this team, and now we're getting to the point where, like, you, oh, you know what? They'll get it together. How many times are you going to keep bringing back that ex-girlfriend or boyfriend and realize, you know what? They're the same fucking person that I keep breaking up with. And they say they're going to change, and they don't. Also, Jackson Mahomes is such a fucking douchebag. I hate him, so I'm not going to back up Pat Mahomes anymore. He's dead. We've seen the best of Pat Mahomes. Because if you're going to turn the ball over, then have a defense that can't stop a nosebleed. You're not good. You're not good anymore. It is the Chargers and Raiders division to fight tooth and nail over. I will say that for this year, I agree that I think the Chiefs are a little too broken to fix it. But I'm not going to go as far to say that I think that we've seen the best of them yet. We perhaps, I mean, that is a possibility. But I'm not willing to just throw away everything they've accomplished in the last few years and say that the league caught up to them. They're not going to be able to adapt again. Just because there is a, a, a supreme amount of talent with those group there, between Kelsey, between Hill, between Andy Reid, between Pat Mahomes, I think they're going to figure it out. Maybe it just takes a cycle of free agency in the draft to get it figured out. But I, I'm not going to say that this is a permanent problem. But before we get into our big games of the week, we do want to remind you that this episode of Loss of Down is brought to you by TabEase.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible on the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta-8 THC, that's not a problem. TabEase offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage. Right now, TabEase.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. So please make sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tab East Co. That's Tab East Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. And with the promo code FOOTBALL, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. Now let's get back to some game previews here, Steven. And we'll start here with your Packers who went to Arizona and won a game that could have been very frustrating to lose. The Packers had a chance to put the game away with like three or four minutes left down at the goal line, weren't able to do it, and it started looking like Kyler Murray and that Cardinals offense was going to keep that team undefeated until they had a miscommunication with A.J. Green down towards the goal line, right about at the whistle, where he threw a pick in the end zone that A.J. Green thought was a running play. This was a huge win for the Packers. We'll get into some of the negative stuff going into the upcoming matchup this week here in a bit, but focus on last week first. This is the kind of win that makes me think and has to imagine makes you think this Packers team d- 
deserves to be on a football field with anybody and could realistically come out of the NFC. It was a nice surprise to have Green Bay win this game. I will say that. I was pumped. I was eating wings. I was yelling at the TV all night. Packers without their top three wide receivers, David Bakhtiari, their left tackle, without their center, Josh Myers, without their two top cornerbacks, Jari Alexander and Kevin King, without their defensive coordinator, as well as without Zadarius Smith, still sitting on IR. The Packers were able to do it because of the GOAT, Aaron Rodgers. I want to give the kudos to Matt LaFleur and the game plan that he drew up, the game that he called. It was awesome. I think it's about time for me, as hard as I've been on Matt LaFleur, to finally give him his kudos. I'm starting to respect him as a coach. It's only been about, what, two and a half, three years, but I'm on there. I would like to agree with you. Yeah, I think that Green Bay can be on the field with any NFC team or any team in the NFL right now. Now, with Aaron Rodgers being out, testing positive for COVID, we'll see how that is going to impact the rest of the season because that is going to impact seeding and, in theory, home field advantage as well. This was a great team win from Green Bay coming in shorthanded. Defensively, they were able to hold the Arizona Cardinals offense long enough. And then with the game-winning, the game-winning interception, I don't feel bad for A.J. Green. Know your fucking play. You're a veteran. You got to be able to turn around or do something. You didn't even, you just stopped running. You didn't turn around. You, you didn't pretend to block like it was a run play. You just stopped running a route. Shout out to Razul Douglas, the cornerback that made that interception. Three weeks ago, he was on the practice squad of the Arizona Cardinals. Gets cut. Green Bay picks him up. Has to play in this game. Look at that. I love when the stars align. Great game. Great win by the Green Bay Packers. On the Arizona side, there's nothing to worry about here. DeAndre was in and out of the game with a hamstring injury. Get him healthy after a 10-day rest period. You're going to be good. Fix the miscommunication with A.J. Green. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they just rip off a 5-6 game win streak, depending on what their divisional schedule is looking like. Arizona is going to be just fine. Yes, they lost J.J. Watt last, last week to shoulder surgery. That's going to put him out the rest of the year. This offense is going to be hot the rest of the season. And this is the kick in the ass that Arizona needed. And I'm scared for the rest of the NFC West, if you're not the LA Rams, and the NFC, and the NFL. The Steelers overcome Boswell's concussion and beat the Butterfinger Browns. That's right. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of bees getting thrown around. That's alliteration, baby. Alliteration. Multiple the same letters. I got you. Hey. English doctrine showing it. Hey, put that doc away. Come on, we're on, we're on, uh, we're on camera. Baker back in the lineup for the Cleveland Browns. Not looking too hot. Twenty of thirty-one with two hundred and twenty-five yards. It's not like the Steelers had an amazing game. Big Ben twenty-two of thirty-four with two sixty-six and a touchdown. And Najee Harris adding ninety-one rushing yards with one touchdown on twenty-six touches. No wide receiver for Cleveland had over sixty-five yards. I don't know what to think of this Browns team anymore with a shell of himself, Baker Mayfield. Defense was holding up nicely in this game, but it's Big Ben who's been falling apart the last couple of years. You couldn't help yourself we, the shell of themselves comment. We're, are we doing this back-to-back weeks? Is this what we're doing? Shell of ourselves? Shell of Baker Mayfield self? Is that what we're doing back-to-back weeks? He's the shell of himself. How is he a shell of himself when he had five drops on 11 incompletions? Because he fucking sucks, Wally. You can say your piece. I'll get mine in after. This division is about to heat up. Cleveland with five division matchups. Pitt with four. Baltimore with five. Cincinnati with four. There's still a lot of AFC North football to be played on the back half of this schedule. This division is about to heat up, Walter. 
It is, and I will. I want to start first of all with the positives for Pittsburgh before we bring this back around to the Browns and Baker Mayfield here. But this Steelers team, I mean, you have to talk about how well coached they are, how disciplined this team is. The fact that this defense has been able to overcome the offense, and I really do mean overcome, to get to a point that they're four and three, and now tr- like truly are playing to play in the wild card. I still am not ready to say they're a division threat yet. But I think that the Steelers team, the way the Chiefs are, the way you have things going on with Las Vegas, with all their stuff, who knows there. The Bengals are kind of showing that they might be a little fraudulent. There's a lot of these teams we thought might be playoff teams that might not. And it might open the door for a Steelers team, even at nine wins, to potentially sneak in. And with a defense like that, whether whatever it is, wherever they're going to match up, there's a chance the Steelers could surprise some people I'm not quite ready to say that they're going to make the playoffs, but they have a few games this next few weeks that they could very possibly win. or And like this week, they should win, and those will be very important. But for the Browns now, you have to mention what's going on with Odell. Uh, I'm sure that you've got to see, and I'm sure everybody that are Browns fans have already seen, Odell Beckham's father is actually like releasing videos of Odell being open throughout his time in Cleveland and not getting the ball thrown to him. And it's just a really weird dynamic because right now you're looking at a Browns team that their leading receiver is David Njoku. They don't have a wide receiver or tight end on their roster that's on pace for over 600 yards receiving. That is unbelievable. And you can criticize Baker Mayfield all you want, but there has to be that emergence as somebody on the outside as well. And last week, this Browns offense, people that didn't watch the game, there's a lot of people out there that looked at the stat line and wanted to blame Baker Mayfield. Like you said, he went 20 of 31 for 225 yards. That also ignores that the Steelers' defense might be the best in the NFL. And then let me just take a little deeper dive into that. Other quarterbacks this year that have gone in and played Pittsburgh, only two others did not turn it over on top of Baker Mayfield this year, being Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr. Derek Carr had two fumbles in his game that were just like coincidentally recovered by the Raiders. And then Aaron Rodgers, very similar stat line to Baker Mayfield in that game. 20 of 36 for 248, so 23 more yards and two touchdowns. This Browns offense in the fourth quarter, they had multiple opportunities to score. You had a Jarvis Landry fumble. You had a major Jarvis Landry drop. You had Odell look like it might even be a touchdown pass or at least one that's going to get to the five-yard line. And I don't know what, but he has got such a thing in his head that he has to catch everything with one hand. I'm sure he saw it with like two or three minutes left. Very catchable ball. Go up with two hands, but instead goes up with one. Doesn't make the play. And then what happens the next play? The Browns turn the ball over on downs and they never see it back. Use your hands. I just, there's a lot of blame to be going around right now in Cleveland. And I'm just not willing to say it's all on Baker, especially off of a game like this where, if you watch that game, I mean, he was probably one of the better players on offense. Steven's giving me the thumbs up, so we're going to go into our next game here where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers go to New Orleans. And unfortunately for the Saints, they lose Jameis Winston for the year to an ACL tear. And it's really a shame because while his stats haven't been super sexy this year, that Saints team as a whole has at least been very coachable and they've been playing really tough in a lot of these games. And and this is just proof of that, where you have Tampa Bay and now Tom Brady. He's lost two of his three matchups in New Orleans the last two years. 
almost that third in a playoff game. The Bucs just seem to have a lot of fits when they go to the Big Easy. But luckily for them, and sadly for the Saints, it looks like it's going to be through Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill the rest of the year. I know the Saints win this game, but doesn't this feel more like a loss than anything else now? I guess. Jameis Winston's been so up and down. I'm interested to see what Sean Payton is going to do because I, we dog Sean Payton so much, but he's having a great year coaching. I will give him that. He's got his team, what are they, 4-2, and 5-2 and two right now? They're 5-2 and two just after beating Tom Brady, Super Bowl champions, and they beat him in an impressive fashion. They were leading that game 23-7 at one point. Tom Brady came all the way back, and they iced the game with a, with a pick six on Tom Brady's final drive. That was a, one of two picks, ended up with four touchdowns at 375. Trevor Simeon, one of four backup quarterbacks coming in and getting a win for his team on Sunday. 159 yards with one touchdown. That Saints Steve, they were looking nice. They held up nicely. They let, they let them back into the game, but then they held up when they needed it the most. The next game that we have here on the schedule, the Titans beating the Indianapolis Colts in their second matchup of the season. And overtime to win 34-31. But the biggest storyline out of this game is Derrick Henry out indefinitely after having foot surgery on a broken fifth metatarsal. Well, that means your pinky toe for you non-anatomy people. Adrian Peterson signed to the practice squad. Saw him, already had the first sight, rocking the number eight at practice today. Nonetheless, Colts out to a quick 14-zip lead. Both touchdowns caught by Michael Pittman. This was all within the first eight minutes. Carson Wentz ending with 231 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, both which were very costly in the fourth and overtime, which is very clutch of him. The Tennessee Titans come back on top, have a nice four-game lead in the division with the injury problems. This game was actually very fun to watch. We thought Indy was going to win this game and not end in this result. But man, Tennessee's a good team. And now it's all eyes on Ryan Tannehill and what he can do in this passing game. What did you think of this game, Wally? And what did you think about Derrick Henry now being out for the rest of the season? Wow. Yeah, this was a, a really crazy game when you look at it, just because now, yeah, you have almost effectively a four-game lead as the Titans here, but you lose Derrick Henry, and you have to almost ask yourself, was it worth it? Would you rather be only two games up right now with a loss and have Derrick Henry? I know that's not how this works, but you almost felt like you were bargaining with everything once this game ended. I still think the Titans will be good enough to win this division with this much of a lead. But, man, it's going to be tough now. I, I think the Colts are going to... I mean, they've shown that they've grown throughout the year. And don't get me wrong, that Carson Wentz throw to end the game was egregious. I still think this Colts team is going to find a way to get themselves back in this and at least make this a little bit of a talking point towards the end of the year. But I, I, I don't know. It, it, Adrian Peterson is not Adrian Peterson that we're used to. So I just, you know there's going to be a significant fall-off. I just don't know if Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and this, I guess, Ryan Tannehill in this offense is going to be able to overcome it. We'll see. Then our next game here, the New York. The Cincinnati Bengals go up and face what is effectively a rookie in his first ever NFL start, Mike White. Been in the league like four or five years through practice squads, backup roles, what have you. Just never really gotten a starting role or starting opportunity What's he do with it? All he does is throw for over 400 yards and beat the Cincinnati Bengals, the top seed in the AFC entering the day. And this was a game that if you watched, this wasn't like the Jets hung around and just accidentally won this game. 
you could definitely make a case they outplayed the Bengals. They were the better team than the Bengals on Sunday. I think part of that is the coaching. I think part of that is the the game plan going into this. A lot of quick throws from Mike White. He was doing really well. He had a couple blunders early in the game. Threw it a little too hard and was getting himself picked off. But beyond that, the only thing that I had takeaways from a negative side, and it's not even the Jets' fault, the refereeing to end this game. The illegal hit to the head, they called it, on the defense on like a third and 12th against the Bengals. Wouldn't be getting the ball back with two timeouts and two minutes left, only needing a field goal. And they called that, dude. I, I don't want to sound like one of these old men yelling at clouds, but it's football. There's going to occasionally be helmet-to-helmet. It was clear it wasn't intended to be a helmet-to-helmet hit. He was trying to get low, make a tackle. If anything, you can make a case that that wide receiver initiated contact. I just feel bad for defenders, man. It, it just seems like every rule is coming out and it's affecting them negatively. Good day to be an offensive player, though. But I don't know. Steven, when you watch this game, are the Bengals to you a little fraudulent? Or do you think that perhaps the Jets are actually improving? They're the Arizona Cardinals of last year that were just more likely to jump on because they look a lot better offensively on the offensive side of the ball than the than the Cardinals did last year, weapons-wise. Got Tyler Boyd, you got Jamar Chase, you got T. Higgins, and then C.J. Uzma's having a great breakout season as well. You mix it in with Joe Mixon. This looks like a team that had a huge win going into MetLife Stadium, looking into next week. Have an 11-point lead. Now I'm definitely looking into next week. Oh, what do you mean there's nine minutes left and we just lost the game? That's what this looked like to me. There's There shouldn't be any panic in Cincy. This is a this is a game to mature you and humble you. Remind you that you're in the NFL. Any given Sunday, doesn't matter who you're lining up against, you could catch an L. Doesn't matter if it's Mike White from Western Kentucky. He can torch you, and he proved it because he's the only quarterback outside of Cam Newton to throw 400-plus passing yards in his first NFL start. Let that sink in. Cam Newton, a guy who can't throw a 10-yard slant, threw 400 yards in his first NFL start, and Mike White is the only other quarterback to do that. The Jets scored 17 points in the fourth to complete the comeback, but 511 total yards to Cincinnati's 318. You can't throw the ball over three times as well, Cincy. You can't have that. Come on, Joe Burrow. You go from beating the Ravens to losing to the Jets. Again, this is a game that will humble you in a league that does it weekly, if not daily in practice for you. I have no worries about the Bengals. And I'll say it once and I'll say it again, this AFC North division is heating up. Thank you, Mike White, for causing this. Another game that caught us by surprise, the New England Patriots going out west to beat the Los Angeles Chargers. Both these teams are confusing. Cannot get my pulse on what these teams are. But the Pats possessing the ball for 10 more minutes. They turn Justin Herbert over twice. And they hold the Chargers to a 33% conversion rate on third down. Where New England went 9 of 19. I like this Chargers team a lot. But everyone knows what their Achilles heel is. And that's the rushing defense. Which are allowing 160 yards per game on the ground. They just gave up 140. That's how you beat them. Is this game concerning for the L.A. Chargers? Not for you, obviously, as the Raiders guy, but is this concerning for the L.A. Chargers? And should we be expecting the Patriots to make a wild card push here? Honestly, I'm more inclined to believe in the Patriots than I am to say that this detracted me from the Chargers. I think the Chargers are still a very good football team. 
that ran into a really bad matchup here in New England. This Patriots team is obviously extremely well coached, and I think they're just starting to click. I think a lot of people were just so fast to write them off, forgetting that this had a team that had probably five to ten players that sat out with COVID last year. It took a little time almost to gel again. And this offense is going to be very vanilla. It's going to be very easy for Mac Jones. They're going to try to ease him in and not have to think too much. So I think that this has got me more excited for the Patriots and it has me worried about the Chargers. But if the Chargers keep on this and maybe lose a third, maybe a fourth in a row, that's when you'll get me to start buying in that they might be in trouble. And if that's the case, the AFC West went from one of the best divisions in football to arguably one of the worst with the Broncos being dead in the water, the Chargers and Chiefs being fraudulent, and now with everything going on with the Raiders. There's talk about a disappointing division. But Cooper Rush now, he had his moment on Sunday Night Football. He led a game-winning touchdown drive in front of his family up in Minneapolis. And this felt like a Vikings game throughout. I thought the Vikings were going to win. They felt like they were the better team. But excluding the long touchdown pass there in the third quarter from Cooper Rush, this was a team that really didn't move the ball until that final drive of the game where they drove down the field and scored. And I didn't think they were going to. It felt like they were going to be Noah Brown. It looked like fumbled the ball at one point, but luckily Harrison Smith got called for a penalty. Felt like a must win for the Vikings, especially when Cooper Rush was the starting quarterback. They didn't get it done, and I'm very close to giving up on this Vikings team this year. Watching this game... Was this more impressive to you that this Cowboys team was able to win with Cooper Rush at the helms against a decent Vikings team? Or is this just more of a reflection on this Vikings team once again falling short of the expectation? This Vikings team is falling short of the expectations. Defensively, they are not. They do not look like a Mike Zimmer-led unit. And this is one of his, if not his worst defenses he's ever put out on the field. Minnesota was outgained on the offensive side of the ball, 419 to 278. Kirk Cousins is getting a lot of praise. If you go to Pro Football Focus, they are loving on Kirk Cousins and what he's doing this year. 278 yards. Minnesota was held to one of 13 on third down. And to add this fact, this is Dallas's only game without a takeaway. And Minnesota even had seven first downs from penalties. They still were not able to get it done. 23 of 35 for a buck 84 and one touchdown. Dalvin Cook held to 78 yards. This Minnesota D is just not the ones of the past. Their offense cannot get it going. Despite having all those studs on the ball, they're the Browns, but a worse defense is my thought. On the Dallas side, why would they not be considered the top Super Bowl contender? I know I'm really high on the Rams. Cowboys are right there. We saw how they were once Dak Prescott got hurt last year and how inept that offense looked. They did not miss a beat in this game. Yes, the the yardage, the score looked a little bit different, obviously with Dak Prescott at the helm. But this is what you're looking for. Just a win, a gritty win, an opportunity to win the game late. And that's what Cooper Rush and this offense did. As much as I hate giving props to Mike McCarthy, this team is playing well. And they should be on your radar. This isn't the Cowboys teams from the past. Although I do think that their defense will shoot them in the foot eventually. This offense is fucking dangerous. Between the offense of the Cowboys and the Cardinals and the Rams, we haven't even gotten to the middle of the pack in quotations. And those teams are going to be dangerous. Your Tampa Bay. Your Green Bay. A lot of Bays. 
A lot of bays. What up, Bay? So put some respect on the Cowboys' name. As much as we all really don't want to, you need to respect what they're doing. Cowboys-Rams NFC Championship game is what I'm seeing in the near future here. And with that, that will, that will wrap us up on the Week 8 recap. Now, going into the Week 9 bets. What the hell's going on out here? The Detroit Lions, Washington football team, Seattle, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are all on the bye week. So we will discuss the 14 games that we have here in our predictions. Wally, ugh, I'm going to regret this, but how did we do last week? Well, so you win 8 and 10, I win 18 and 16, but because of our style of betting, we're both right around the same. We probably both were in that negative one unit or so in kind of betting here. So again, we're kind of in this rut where it's, I know it's a one unit and that's a lot to some people, but we've kind of been in this rut where we're just kind of breaking even or right around a wash each week, which just means that we're going to get it done this week, Steven. And that's a good way to start because the Jets are going to the Colts. And the Colts are 10.5-point favorites this week. I think a lot of people are going to be moving into the Jets' corner because of what they just did. But I'm just almost worried that Vegas is going to almost overanalyze that and they're going to play into that. It's like a rat line almost. And that's why I'm actually going to take the Colts to cover here and win outright. So I've got money line and covering the 10.5. I just think this is going to be the kind of game that you see Mike White against the Patriots and not Mike White against the Bengals. And if that's the case, I think the turnovers itself from Mike White might be enough to get you to that cover point. And then even beyond that, I just think the Colts are a better squad. So I have Colts minus 10.5 and, and the money line. This Indianapolis Colts defense is not what we've grown used to these last couple of years. They're right there in the middle of the pack in, in pass defense. They're right there in the middle of the pack in the rush defense. They're worse than what the Cincinnati Bengals defense is in all those categories, yardage at least. Right now, I'm going to let the Jets ride that high going into Indianapolis. Yes, they have strung a couple wings together, lost to Tennessee. But I'm expecting them to go into Indianapolis with a lot of confidence in, in here and make it a competitive game. Now I'm going to take the Jets plus 10 and a half in this game. I do. I, I believe the Colts are going to win. That's not a question. But I think that the Jets are now going to be competitive in this midseason after gaining that confidence and starting to maybe snowball a couple games here to get a nice win streak. And then there's going to be a huge controversy in New York. Robert Sala already said, you know what, well, you know, anything is possible if Mike White continues this. Quarterback drama. He just, he just took this dude number two. You're already saying he could be losing his job. Mike White, balling again, not going to lead the league in passing yards in week eight like he did here. But he's going to keep them competitive, covering that 10 and a half, because I can see New York losing by 10 and that hook saving our ass. The next game, we have the Houston Texans visiting the Miami Dolphins. Miami, losers of seven straight, finally have a cupcake on their schedule. And that's exactly what Houston's thinking of as well. I'm going to take the Houston Texans at plus seven here. This is the dumpster fire battle. This is going to be more competitive than we thought. And it's actually going to be one of the more entertaining games of the week that I think. Purely on how piss poor both of these teams are. They are both hungry for a win. They're ready to take a rip a page out of Dan Campbell's book and bite some kneecaps. But I like Houston plus seven here because this is a four to five point victory written all over it, no matter which way you go. 
So I'm going to take the points at Houston on this visiting the Miami Dolphins. This game is only going to be usurped by the Texans playing the Jaguars later in the year again because this is a terrible matchup. It can only get slightly worse. They're going to find a way. The Texans, well, they got the, that Jaguars team again, so that'll be fun. But I'm going to take the Dolphins minus seven here, which naturally means I'm taking the Dolphins money line as well. I think that the Dolphins are just a better football team. They're competent, at least. At least it looks like they're figuring things out. Two of these last few weeks, at least looks like he belongs on a football field. That's more that can be said for the Texans in moments that matter. Because I know they lost to the Rams by 16 last week. If the Rams wanted to, they could have won by 50. I think the Dolphins win this game. It's going to be another gross score, though. I can see this being something like 20-7. to And you're just like, how did I waste enough time watching this? If this is on Red Zone, if you're one of those people like me that only have like two or three TVs on games and then one focused on Red Zone, you will forget this game exists because it will just be on once or twice the entire afternoon. Dolphins win and cover. The Broncos now are going to Dallas to face what we believe is Dak Prescott-led Cowboys. By eight and a half is favored by Vegas. I'm going to ride with that. I think that without Vaughn Miller and there's not as much pass rush there, I think you're going to see that secondary of the Broncos not be nearly as, I guess, dominant as they have been, at least early on in this year. I think you're going to see a Cowboys team put up points, and I think it's going to start, unfortunately for Bronco fans, being a trend this year. Dallas is going to win this game. They're going to cover. I, I think that this might be a game until half, but at some point, the offense is just not going to be able to keep up with Dallas's. Cowboys covered eight and a half, and they went out right. Not only the offensive side, I don't think that the Broncos secondary is ready to keep up with the Dallas Cowboys. With Michael Gallup potentially getting back in the lineup this week, everyone seems to kind of forget that he's a stud as well because of Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, the emergence of Dalton Schultz. Zeke having a his best year since his rookie year, essentially, maybe second year in the league. Now, if Dak isn't playing, I want to take the points just for shits and gigs, right? But if he is playing, absolutely. To your point, we don't have Vaughn Miller coming off the edge that could potentially create those disruptions in timing and just the offensive play in itself. They don't really have those studs. Bradley Chubb is out with an injury. They don't have those studs in the front seven where your secondary can play lax. You need them to be on top of it. And if Cooper Rush is playing, maybe you have that opportunity. If Dak Prescott is, he's going to torch this defense. Dak Prescott, Dallas minus eight and a half. I would take Denver on the points in here, strictly because I don't expect him to do it back-to-back weeks. I would give the nod to Denver's defense a slight bit over Minnesota's. Next game we have on the list, speaking of, speaking of those Purple Devils, Minnesota, oh geez, Purple People Eaters game. Minnesota visiting Baltimore, where Baltimore's Five and a half point favors to over under a set at 49 and a half. Baltimore minus five and a half. They're coming off a bye week. They're coming off a bad loss. You have two weeks to be able to prepare for this. And I have no trust in the Minnesota defense right now. You're letting Cooper Rush put up 20 points, 400 plus yards on you. Good luck with Lamar Jackson. I know he can't throw, but he can still torture you in this game. And that defense isn't too shabby. Now, Baltimore's pass defense isn't that good. But a Dallas Cowboys team that lost digs in this game still saw Kirk Cousins not be able to heat it up. I'm expecting Kirk Cousins and that offense to continue their woes outside of Dalvin Cook. I like Baltimore winning this game at home at minus five and a half and covering. 
I think that they win two, but I think that Minnesota's desperate enough that they're going to keep it within the five and a half. Baltimore this year, I feel like, has either been Super Bowl contender or subpar playoffs. And I think that this is going to be the first time you kind of get a hybrid of the two. I think their defense is going to be good enough to hold the Vikings to the low 20s. And this is going to have to be one of those games that Lamar, I think, is going to have to win with his arm a little bit, too. Because I think this is the type of team with the veterans on defense that are going to try to take away his legs and really try to focus in on his deficiencies. And that's going to... This is a great opportunity, I guess, to get people like me that have always had a little bit of suspicion of him... Get them off your back, at least for a little while. Because I really do think this year, I know the Bengal game looked bad, but beyond that, he seems like he is growing a little bit in that department. And if he can continue to do so, this is one of the better teams in the NFL. But for this week, because of the desperation, I have Vikings plus 5.5, but I do have the Ravens on the money line. The New England Patriots are 3.5-point road favorites going to Carolina. Another situation where I'm kind of going back to the well here of I have Carolina plus three and a half, but the Patriots on the money line. And that really doesn't give you a lot of room to get both bets right. And I hate doing this in a traditional sense, but I think that this is the kind of team, the Patriots that is, that's going to play the Panthers kind of close in a weird score, kind of weird game. And I think they're going to win by like a point or two here. Or or it's going to end up being, Steven, one of those games where it's like 19 to 14. And I look back and I'm just grossed out at myself. But I think that you're going to see this Patriots defense with the skill and speed there give Sam Darnold fits. And at some point, we got to wonder, is Sam Darnold, like, when's his last game going to be? When are you going to stop giving him the chances? I think we're getting close to that. We've already seen P.J. Walker get thrown in a few times here. you got to imagine Matt Rule is losing patience. And as soon as you get pulled, you know that effectively the Sam Darnold project is over in Carolina. Well, luckily for you, P.J. Walker's actually be getting a lot of the first-team reps here. Sam Darnold, like you said, up in the air. This experiment might be dumb because it, it just isn't working. It was okay the first four or five games of the season, but now he's just another placeholder. P.J. Walker going to have his opportunity going against the, the New England Patriots defense, and I don't like that. If you can stop him and contain him, make him beat you in the pass game because that is New England's strongest suit on the defensive side of the ball is their pass defense right now. New England coming down to Carolina, I like them as a three and a half point favorite. Personally, I would wait until that half point drops to an even three. Worst case scenario that you push in this game. I like New England. I, I know I'm a huge advocate of it's all about when you win a big game or you lose a game. It's all about how you come out and how you will overcome that adversity Wally was talking so much about. Because overcoming and being good that next game after a big victory is harder but after losing that game, when you're down on yourself and losing confidence, New England has an opportunity to really start putting a stamp on here and getting some respect on Bill Belichick's name after it's been tarnished when, when Tom Brady won the Super Bowl. I really like New England to cover this three and a half, like I said, wait till it's three, and to see Carolina continue their downfall. Buffalo, the next game here on the slate, Wally's been alluding to it all episode here. They're 14 point favorites. Visiting the Jacksonville Jaguars dumpster fire. Do I really need to talk about this? They're going to slow and steady win the race by 30. Give up a couple garbage time touchdowns that we don't need to worry about because they will still cover the 14. Buffalo minus 14, and I'm going to take the over on here as well. So I think that Buffalo will at least put up 41, 42 points. 
Trevor Lawrence, come on, man, just get one garbage time touchdown. Actually, no, James Robinson, get a garbage time touchdown. I got you on my fantasy. You only having four touches last week and Carlos Hideout touching you is embarrassing. Urban Meyer, you're a shithead Buffalo by 14. Bills minus 14 in the money line. That's all I'm going to say about this game. Browns going to the Bengals. Bengals are two and a half point favorites. You're going to see us both talk about this later when we get to our prop lock and drop it. But I I am struggling. I, I really am because I wanted to go two different directions here. But ultimately, I think I'm going to go with the Browns plus two and a half in the money line. There's obviously the better value there. And I think you hear me use the word desperation again. But this is a game the Browns cannot afford to lose. You cannot afford to be four and five fall two and a half games behind in the division and be the fourth team in that division. So you have to catch three teams ahead of you. It's a lot of teams you have to, a lot of help you need. It's just, it's not going to happen. So I think that this Browns team understands the importance of winning this game and they're going to do so. I, I think the Browns get it done. But this game, I, I again, if we're talking about the Bengals next week winning this, I'm not going to be surprised either. I think this is going to be one of the games I'm most excited to watch this weekend. I have no idea what to think of this game. Divisional game. I will say the past four games with these teams, 2.5 is being covered no matter which way you go. It's at least a five-point victory for each of these games. And they had a couple awesome games here last year. I know one of them was on Thursday night. Baker had a little bit of that comeback magic. I'm going to go with strictly the home team, which I guess it's in the same state, so it's not really. So home team is kind of skewed in this regard. I like Cincinnati minus Minus two and a half right here. I just can't trust this Cleveland offense right now with blotchy production, the drops, the sloppy play, the potential turnovers. I liked it. Obviously, the Browns get the nod, check the box on the defensive side of it. Offensively, I'm trusting a Joe Burrow-led offense more than Baker right now, strictly because of the surrounding pizzas, to your point, dropping the ball, turning it over. Jarvis with that fumble. Jarvis with the drop. Odell with the drop. This team is in disarray right now. I got to go with the Bengals minus two and a half as the home favorite here. Atlanta and the New Orleans Saints in the next matchup here in the division where the Saints are favored by six points. And I'm going to go with the Atlanta Falcons at plus six. This has a game written all over that. Oh, New, you know, New Orleans hot off that win. Quarterback questions. Yes, Trevor Simeon going into a game against Atlanta that has a porous defense. I like Atlanta plus six in this. For what reason? None really. I just don't really think that there's going to be a quarterback play reciprocated in this game that we saw the last. It kind of what I was alluding to a couple games ago. This is a huge win New Orleans just came off of. Are they going to be overlooking the Falcons? I don't know, like the Bengals just did to the Jets? Like it looked like the Chiefs did to the Giants this past Monday night? I see that as being one of these games this week. Atlanta plus six and a half. Visiting the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. This is a really weird game. I don't feel particularly stronger about it, but I'm going to go the opposite way from you here. And my reasoning is this, is that I talked earlier about how I was nervous and thought that the Saints team might have a little bit of a fall off without Jameis Winston. And I do think that Jameis Winston is a better quality, at least thrower than Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill. But I think a lot of people are going to be jumping off them so fast that you might see Vegas's line here be reflective of that a little bit. And you have to remember, too, Vegas is also trying to operate under the assumption that, I mean, this is a backup quarterback. They only have so much to work with in their own right. So I'm going to take the Saints 
and kind of go against my own kind of thinking earlier here, to have them cover the six in Moneyline, this feels like a game that Atlanta could be winning throughout. And the Saints get a field goal, like, yeah, I don't know, six, seven minutes left, but then win a touch or get a touchdown late and win. I just don't know. It just feels like a really gross game. I, I hate it. If we had, what, a multiple drops down here, I probably would go that route. But I'm going to say the Saints cover and win. The next game, my Vegas Raiders are going to New York to face the G-Men. And they are still three-point favorites, even after all the news earlier, which I was a little surprised by. I thought it might uh, come out a little poorly, or at least reflect that way. I'm going to take the Raiders to cover here. And let me explain my reasoning. When John Gruden got fired a few weeks ago, and everybody was ready to abandon ship on this Raiders team, that locker room kind of rallied behind Rich Bazakia and Derek Carr and this team. And they got a really gritty team win and beat the doors off a Denver team that was actually favored to win on the road. This, I think, is going to be a similar effort. I think this team has too much pride to let everything that's happened this last week or so affect them on Sunday. And I think that you're going to see some very hungry wide receivers, some very hungry offense here from the Raiders. And that they're going to get it done. I, I think it's going to be gritty. And I don't think that this is going to unfortunately be something that lasts throughout the duration of the year. But in this immediate aftermath, I think that this is a very emotional win and a win very needed for this Raiders locker room. Agreed. This is That would be the ultimate Raiders thing is just push through. Uh, just keep continuing. But this one's going to be shaking up the locker room. This isn't. This is nothing to be shaking your stick at, keeping on the shaking references here. Going across the country during this time, having all this crazy shit happening. The first thing they want to do is play. Led by Derek Carr, what a leader. That is the man to be leading that team right now. Showing the light at the end of the tunnel. Two-game win streak, started a three-game win streak. He got New York that is traveling back to that coast on a shortened week. I like the Vegas Raiders coming out here hungry, ready to play, ready to prove themselves. Hunter Refro, keep your eyes on. But most importantly, don't forget about Brian Edwards. If you haven't picked him up, up in fantasy, this may be a proven prove-it week for him. But you better watch out. Brian Edwards can ball. Thank God, Darren Waller, owners, two thumbs, this guy right here, he's going to ball a little bit. I like, I like the Raiders ready to come out, ready to play. Minus three against the New York Giants. The L.A. Chargers are two-and-a-half-point favorites visiting the same coast we're talking about. The Philadelphia Eagles, over and under, is set at 50. Chargers minus two-and-a-half. They're hungry. They got they just got embarrassed the last two games. Philadelphia, yeah, okay. To your point, they finally found out what it meant to run the ball, the one weakness for the Chargers. If they keep on that trend, I can see Philly winning this game. I think that they can and will do that. But their deep, their pass defense is so bad. I'm ready for Justin Herbert to exploit that. Get back in the win column. Chargers minus two and a half. And I'm also going with the over 50 in this game, Wally. I actually don't dislike the over 50 here. Because I do think there will be a lot of points. I don't have it. But I, if I was going to bet it, I think I'd go with you there. This is one of the bets I think might be my favorite of the week here. This is a Chargers team that I think is getting really devalued by a lot of people and very overlooked. And I know that Justin Herbert hasn't looked great these last few weeks, but I really do like that offense. And I do think that that 
Offense is going to have a lot of success against Philadelphia on the road. I think they cover the two and a half, and I think they do it with relative ease here. Philly's going to score quite a bit of points too. I just think that they're outrun, outscored, and it's going to be something like a 35 to like 28 kind of game. I think the Chargers get it done, but one of the rare opportunities to get to say this, I hope my buddy Zach Yusef's Eagles get it done. So we'll see. I, I, I Dude, you got to go with the Eagles before a division rival. Who the fuck are you? I'm playing for a division I hope title. my next game, Jesus Christ. I regret nothing. But the next game, and I'll throw it over to you here, is your Green Bay Packers are going against the Kansas City Chiefs. And that line, before the Aaron Rodgers news, and you kind of heard me hint at it earlier, but he tested positive for COVID, and he will not be eligible to play this weekend. The team went from being a a 2.5-point dog to a a 7.5-point dog. That might not sound like a lot, but a 5-point player difference is huge for Vegas. And I was really close at first to say, hey, you know what? Without Aaron Rodgers, this is a Chiefs team that's going to be able to control them, handle them. But I think this might be a great opportunity for Jordan Love to actually get to see what in what a below average defense is. It's a great opportunity for was this his first career start? I would believe, yeah, first career start, and uh, going against a Chiefs defense built the way they are. I don't think you could have a better first matchup for a guy like this. And I think the Packers are going to keep this close. They're not going to win. I'm not even betting Kansas City money line because that's I do think it's up in the air the way the Chiefs have played this year. I think the Packers do keep it close. If I wasn't a bet, I'd say the Chiefs win, but that's how uncomfortable I feel about it. I'm just taking the Packers to cover. Steven, do you think that your Packers have a better shot than Vegas has given you guys? So this is what sucks doing a podcast because everything I say about a sport that I'm that I love, that I'm passionate about, and that I feel like I'm very educated about can bite me in the ass right here. Hearing all this radio talk, oh, Jordan Love's getting the start, this, that, and the other. We don't know. We've only seen preseason. We've only seen him do this in preseason. How is this not preseason? The Chiefs' defense is so fucking bad. They are essentially a preseason defense. Yes, they have a couple stars. We're expecting David Bakhtiari to be back in that lineup. Hopefully, Josh Myers. We'll see how the how the cornerback cornerback situation is looking but this is the best opportunity for a young quarterback that needs to prove himself and why they drafted him now i'm saying that as someone who does a podcast not as a packers fan i don't want to see jordan love succeed because i want aaron Rodgers as much as as much as possible but this is a perfect situation for him seven and a half points against that defense that led up 17 points to daniel jones Against an offense that only put up 20 points against that Giants defense, which surprisingly, this Packers defense is playing well. Now, yes, they haven't had great competition, but outside of getting blown out against New Orleans, they have been a well-coached unit. And they proved that Thursday without having their defensive coordinator there, only holding Arizona to 21. I like the Green Bay Packers at plus 7.5. Jordan Love to... Get people to kind of talk about him a little bit, strictly because he didn't lose the game by more than 20. Green Bay, I think Green Bay is going to lose. You can take as many people off the offensive side of the ball and keep Aaron Rodgers there. He'll make it happen. But he's the guy who makes it tick. People seem to forget about 2016 when he got hurt. 2013 when he broke his collarbone. And how bad that offense was. Now LaFleur, I'm confident, will get a nice 
scheme going to keep them competitive in here. But Green Bay will, will win by the half point. Green Bay plus seven and a half, Kansas City money line. Arizona's a two and a half point favorite at San Francisco. The over under is set at 46 and a half. I like Arizona minus two and a half. They are looking to get back in the win column after suffering their first loss. They have 10 days of rest against a divisional opponent. And they need to understand the assignment of winning this game to help you with a Rams team that's inevitably going to surge here with the addition of Von Miller. Arizona minus two and a half against this San Francisco defense that just lost to the Colts. That made Justin Fields look good in the passing game. Justin Fields put up 103 yards rushing. What's also added, not even including the 71 that Khalil Herbert put on there. This is not the same defense. Arizona, this is a good game to get your confidence back, remind you who you are as a team offensively, and remind people that, you know what, that's the team we can't fuck with. It's, it's in that division who's going to come out of the NFC. I like Arizona minus two and a half. So this is ridiculous. I know what it is already. Everything is telling me that Arizona minus two and a half is a good bet here. Extended rest, those extra three days. Just eye test the first eight weeks of the season. Defense looks better. Only thing that I would give to the edge going into this would probably be the coaching staff. I just have a weird feeling that this 49ers team is going to get the job done on Sunday. I think this is going to be the week that it, it's a very critical point in the year for me, Stephen, because it's either going to turn into this is the moment I give up on this 49ers team, similar to how I gave up on Washington a few weeks ago. Credit to me for being smart enough to do that. But it's either I give up on them or this is the moment I think that they hit that turning point in the season. And this is when we're going to look back and say that Bears week, that Cardinals week, those are the times that was the moment that this 49ers team became relevant and at least became a player in the NFC West again. Tennessee is going to the Rams where the Rams are seven and a half point favorites. I'm going to kind of pull a page out of your book here, Stephen. I'm buying a point. I am going to buy this down to six and a half. If your unit was, I'm just using this for a round number to make it easier on everybody, but if you usually bet $100 on a game, at minus 110 odds, the normal odds, that would get you $91 coming back to you. By buying this extra point, the odds are now minus 140. So that means that you would be winning $71. So you lose $20 in that exchange, but to me it's worth it for the safety net. I think that Tennessee has the capability of scoring late to potentially backdoor covering the 7.5. For that reason, I am going to buy it down. Rams get it done, but I think the Tennessee Titans keep this closer than many think. So Rams minus 6.5. Steven's in the bathroom right now, so I'm going to go ahead and do the last game, and he'll just have two real real quick here at the end. But Chicago's going to Pittsburgh and Heinz Field. Steelers are 6.5-point favorites. I'm taking the Steelers minus 6.5 in the money line. I'm finally buying into this team. I think that the Bears' offensive line is going to have a lot of fits going against T.J. Watt. I know that they got rid of Melvin Ingram this week. He got traded, actually, earlier today to the Kansas City Chiefs. But Pittsburgh, I do think, gets it done. I think that they do just enough on offense to cover this spread here. Until this Bears' offensive line is better, until I can believe that there are more what talented players on the outside that can potentially give Justin Fields a little bit of growth there, 
it's going to be really hard for me to pick them against any good defense. And I think that you're going to see a Steelers team come out hungry, potentially get a few turnovers, maybe even a defensive score. And that's going to be the reason why the Steelers cover the six and a half and the money line. I'm riding with the the Rams minus seven and a half. I'm not even buying the point. I don't have confidence in this Tennessee offense. You have Jalen Ramsey on A.J. Brown. Make Julio Jones beat you. Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Brown. Double Julio, who you got? Who the fuck do you got? I like the Rams minus seven and a half. Taking advantage of a Tennessee Titans team that's limping into here. Had to play extra time to get this victory in the division. And now you got to travel over to the West Coast against a Rams team who is just firing on all cylinders on the offensive side of the ball. I'm not touching it. Minus seven and a half. I'm taking that all day, baby. Chicago at Pittsburgh to wrap up the slate here. Talk about a boring Monday night game. Holy. Even when the rosters, before we knew they had Justin Fields, we thought this was going to be a good game. And even on the Pittsburgh side, I don't want to watch them. I'd barely want to watch them at 1 o'clock on Sundays. Makes you think I want to watch them at 8 p.m. on a Monday. That's what I have to look forward to. I'd rather stay at work. I'm going to take the Chicago Bears plus 6.5. This is a defensive game. We know we know what the Pittsburgh Steelers defense can do, and we know how inept that offensive line of the Chicago Bears is. We know how bad that Big Ben-led offense is in Pittsburgh right now. Yes, Najee Harris is finally putting up a few games, but their strong suit in Chicago is the defensive line. I wouldn't be surprised if this would be under 40. I'm not taking it here. I'm taking Chicago plus six and a half. I think Pittsburgh will win this game. I'm taking their money line, but Chicago plus six and a half. This has a two to three to four point victory written all over it. And with that, that'll bring us to our final segment before we get you guys out of here for the night. The prop lock and drop it where we tell you what our favorite prop of the week is, who we think the absolute lock of the week is and the game that we are staying away from. And it's pretty funny. Me and Wally are on the same page, which we never are with these. We like to be all over the board, but I think this week, and I'm assuming you, you listeners out here can agree. It's very narrow on who we get to pick. And I think that we nailed it. I will let you lead off the prop lock and drop it. What is your prop before we show them who we agreed upon the lock and drop? Yeah, I truly couldn't tell you, Stephen, how many times we've actually linked up on this where we've had the same lock or drop before. And the fact that we both have the same lock and drop just says a lot about this week. But yeah, I'll get to my prop first. You've heard me mention pride with this Raiders team a lot this week. With everything going on, I think it's going to be a point of emphasis in that wide receiver room to really kind of elevate and and fill that gap that's been left behind by Henry Ruggs' absence now. I have Derek Carr's over of 281.5 passing yards. DraftKings has it listed at minus 115 right now. I think against this Giants team, the Raiders are going to come out very, very emotional. It's going to be a very hard-fought game, and I'm, I'm going to be disappointed if I'm wrong here but I think the Raiders pride is going to elevate them and catapult them to a win and I think that comes on the back of Derek Carr so over 281 and a half passing yards prop to you Steven I have two props this week actually and they're going to go hand in hand so you're going to live and die by this prop lock and drop it my prop for this week 
The Buffalo Bills and the Jacksonville Jaguars match up this weekend. Plus 221, yes, there will be a defense or special team score in this game. Why? Buffalo is the number one passing defense. Trevor Lawrence, vulnerable to turning the ball over. You know what's going to happen. So take that. But my additional pick is to, if you're able to prop build it, parlay it together here, to Trevor Lawrence throwing an interception in this game as well. I think it's going to be a pick six. Jordan Poyer, the safety for the, the Bills, highest graded safety based off PF pro football focus here, the 91.1 grade. I can see him ball hawking. Got my boy Micah Hyde out there. Got one of the best corners in the league in Jadarius White. When the stars are aligned, I've said it once and I'll say it again. When the stars are aligned, Trevor Lawrence to throw an interception and a defense or special teams touchdown at plus 221 is my prop. So for our locks, me and Wally have both agreed that the Los Angeles Chargers minus two and a half against the Philadelphia Eagles is our lock of the week. Philly's a joke. They score in garbage time. The Chargers are hungry, looking for a victory after being deemed the AFC West champions. Only after five weeks, they fall in a couple games. This game's going to get them right back on track. Why do you think it is, and what is our drops of the week, Wally? No, I don't want to add too much just because you're right. I just feel like Philadelphia is going to be overmatched by this Chargers offense. And even if they figured something out, run the ball, that might keep it close. But I just think these teams are in different stratospheres right now. I think that the Chargers have the capability to be playing for a Super Bowl when the Eagles, at best, are going to be trying to slide in as a seven seed. So I do think that the Chargers get it done, and that is a lock. But our drop here, and we both agree again, I think it's got to be the Browns and Bengals game. I think it's probably the most competitive game of the weekend, and I truly could see it going either way here. Both teams are coming off of really tough losses, and we know they're better than what we saw. I just don't have the ability to put money on a game like this right now where there's so much, I guess, going on in Cleveland in terms of drama this week with the Odell Beckham Jr.'s father news, and then the Bengals coming off that loss to the Jets. It makes you wonder how fraudulent they are. So I think that it's just a very good game to avoid altogether. That is going to bring us to yet another episode of Loss of Down. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, at Loss of Down, and Twitter, down underscore loss. I am Stephen Weed. He is Walter Lukashensky. Until next time, we are Loss of Down, and this is the Redemption Week from our gambling picks. Don't drink and drive. <laughs>